Bill and Bob's bracket busting breakdown. I'm Bob. I'm here with Bill. Hey, Bob. How'd you do? Did you survive the weekend? Uh, not, not my survivor picks, but I'm alive in bracket pools. That's for sure. Yeah, my survivor, my survivor picks, which is like the the suicide pool. It's you know you just to explain if people don't know, you basically have to pick a team once you pick it, and they have to win that day, and then you can never use that team again for the rest of the tournament. Um, I had three different survivor pools. Two were out in the first two hours and twenty minutes of the entire NCAA tournament: Virginia and West Virginia. I had West Virginia go down on one. Uh, I had an incredible two-year run in 2006-2007, one in 2016, or sorry, 2016, won it, then was one of the final 10, I think, left in 2017. And ever since, I think I've just got a little too confident in myself, and I pick riskier games in the first two days just to kind of, you know, it's, I, it's almost like I'd rather go out in the first two days than last yeah it's there's two different strategies and it's like you know you do you pick the ones and the two seeds and then you know you have the you have the other stuff to play with but but to me it's like you know there's so much parity now that a 15 seed goes down every year it's not that safe and my safe pick on the saturday to or on friday rather to knock out my last um my last entry I was I was like, oh, you know, if I want to play this one safe, I would have picked Purdue. And then, of course, uh, that happened. So um, so I would have gone down either way. I would have I couldn't make it into the weekend. My goal is always to make the second weekend. I'm going to have to change up how I approach things next year, though. Uh, Bill, let's go. We're going to start in the top left. Um, for those for the dedicated listeners, this is the South region. This is the um, the lost pod region. <laughs> Um, we haven't heard your thoughts in it, Bill, so I expect uh, a little bit more here for, out of you. Um, first game is... Yes, we had some technical difficulties team. last week in uh, actually yeah. getting these uh, podcasts up, unfortunately. And there was a solo pod that I foolishly deleted. You should never delete things. Um, and we've, we live and we learn. So we have the number one overall seed, Alabama. They go against the number five, the San Diego State Aztecs, uh, the remaining team left out of the Mountain West. I think this is a this is an interesting matchup. You know, San Diego State is um, is a good defensive team. I think the problem I see as far as San Diego State is concerned is they haven't really been tested in the tournament quite yet. So you got to remember, this is the region, of course, where Virginia lost on that ludicrous uh, play to Furman, and then. Um, Later on, uh, the, we'll get to their game later, but the, the Princeton Tigers, who are still in the tournament, pulled off a, uh, a stunning first-round upset. That was just absolutely awesome to watch on TV. Yes. Um, yeah, but, it, but Alabama, so Alabama had some hiccups in the first half of, uh, of their last game but the, against Maryland, but they really turned it on the second half. And, I, you know, I've been in, I've been a buyer of Alabama because I think that the, from a talent perspective, they are are about the most talented team in the in the entire tournament, um, and I think it it shows at, they can turn it on and turn it off. The problem is with Alabama to me is that sometimes they they wait too long to turn it on, and I think you can get away with that at Maryland, but I'm not sure you get away with something like that against a team like San Diego State. Um, 
again, though, San Diego State, we have not seen them. You know, they, it's not like they, they played incredibly well in the first round. They did they did play well in the second round, but, I mean, they played a 12 seed and a 13 seed. It's very difficult to have a an accurate gauge as to, to what kind of a, a team they are for Alabama. Yeah, and, and the other thing that I – there was two things of note, and I'll let you um, comment on one of them as an SEC guy. First of all, Alabama – or, sorry – San Diego State, the last time that they played a Ken Palm, um, like, highly ranked team, we could go – they had Utah State uh, consensus. That I think they were – I have it as 27. Boise State was 35. They were in the tournament with St. Mary's um, way back in, it looks like, December. They lost 68-61 to 61 to St. Mary's. Now, that's obviously a defensive matchup, two of the top, uh, I think, 15 defensive metrics teams in the country. Yeah, but, but I mean, State. this game coming up is two of the top five defensive metric teams so, uh, coming up. And, and that was exactly my point, is now you're facing another defensive team. So San Diego State, 10th, Alabama, 3. Um, the other thing, too, here is that the, the glaring difference here is between these two teams is the pace of play. You have uh, San Diego State in the 250s. You have uh, Alabama, which is uh, top 10 pace. Yes. So but Alabama's pace is driven largely by um, rebounding and forced turnovers and, and really pushing the tempo. If you, so if you can protect the ball against Alabama, you can slow them down. And that, to me, is, is a big point with with san diego state they're such a good defensive team that if alabama waits too long to turn it on san diego state plays at a snail's pace they might not have enough time to come back in a game like this and and that was that was my next point was you you have san diego state a lot of times it's the favorite who plays at a slow pace and they get knocked off like a purdue they the other team says, okay, we'll play at this pace, and when we start getting stops on you, you're not going to be able to make the comeback that you wanted, or it's, it's just going to be a tighter game. It's happened to like, Virginia several games. times in the NCAA tournament when they yes. lost. Their or methodical, slow, plotting pace is like they're, they're, so, they're so fundamentally sound that they never do the, they never start to rush the tempo. They always play at the same tempo, and it's like that works when they're winning but sometimes if you go if a team gets lucky they they get you down a lot it's like you sometimes you got to pick it up a little bit so in this one what i saw was a lot of these sec teams and this is where i i was going with this it seems like and and maybe i'm wrong they are not the greatest shooting conference this year but there's other there's other strengths on these teams, like Tennessee and Alabama, the two SEC teams left, both and, very and, strong. And uh, the Arkansas teams. Razorbacks. Are, again, Do not forget. add them to it. Th- three teams, not the greatest shooting teams in, in the country. They can sometimes fall in love with the three ball almost to their own detriment. A hundred percent. And, and now, one thing that I would say Arkansas and Alabama um, – are, are reliant upon a little bit more than let's say Tennessee is forcing turnovers because Arkansas also is a wants to to score and score quickly um, because they're not a great shooting team they don't like being in a half court set they don't have these great plays but um, but we'll get back to we'll get, hit Arkansas later but Alabama is is 
stacked with enough people who are scorers and are going to be our talented draft picks that they can they have the flexibility to kind of play at both paces. They're also a top 20 um, offensive team on the adjusted uh, statistics. That might have something to do with their pace of play, but they are the number. If you look at the um, rankings for the de- for um, defensive uh, rankings for Kempom, I believe it's it's Tennessee one, um, UCLA two, Alabama three, Tennessee four, or so- something along those lines. It, it, basically, like it's all those teams that you would think would be there are there. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. The the def- the teams that are left are very much defensive teams, except for Miami. Um, but yeah, that's that's the thing here, and the the thing that I see between these two teams is is just the rebounding numbers. Is is San Diego State going to be able to keep Alabama from getting second chances, or are they going to be able to get second chances themselves? Yeah, Kawhi Leonard is not walking through that door. No, San Diego and, State alone, Kawhi Leonard. For those who do not know, and, and San Diego State doesn't necessarily have a ton of size, um, although they are a by the metrics, a decent rebounding team. But in the tournament so far, they did not face two teams that ha- have tested them on that front in Charleston and um, and Furman. Yeah, and, and Alabama does have a lot of size and skilled size, too. And Alabama, at least in the second matchup with Maryland, they faced a very uh, def- defensive, highly ranked defensive team in Maryland uh, out of the Big Ten. So they did have that sort of challenge. And they also, I mean, Alabama, I mean, both of these teams are coming in rolling, but, you know, the Mountain West, other than San Diego State, the other Mount, Mountain West teams didn't perform. So I think this is a tough one. Um, you know, obviously, we you, you'd expect the number one overall seed to move on here. Um, but if San Diego State can muck it up like we saw in some of these other games in the round, which is their only prayer, which is so I assume that's what they're going to be doing. Exactly. But I think the depth of Alabama is actually what what carries them through here is because they have so many different guys. You could afford to get a couple guys into foul trouble, and it wouldn't make a difference. Where if San Diego State starts to lose, say, Matt Bradley, um, you know, they're going to be in trouble. Uh Uh-huh. I agree with you. I agree with you. San Diego State has nowhere near the depth of Alabama, which is another reason why they play at pace. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's another thing where when you're playing with such tempo – um, I, I'm not, I'm just, I don't, again, the difference in teams, the underdog being able to get the, the, the really the consent, I mean, the consensus number one overall, but also I had mentioned this in, in the deleted pod, Alabama is, is there as the number one overall seed because of their consistency over the course of the year. There's been a, so much parity this year, but them and Houston have just been consistently there all year in the top 10 because of you know, the way they've played. Um, but yeah, it, I'm just not sure that San Diego state can take the tempo and dial it all the way back for 40 minutes where Alabama doesn't get on one of those eight or 10 runs. No, I, I agree with you. I like Alabama in this game to sum it up. And, and I'll say one other thing you can miss this entire game and just get a look at a, only the numbers in the score. And that will tell you if, uh, if there's a chance that Alabama, uh, that uh, San Diego State could win, if they can, if they can keep the game in like the 50s to to 
maybe low 60s, even that's pushing it. But if they can keep the game in the 50s or below, I would say at halftime, if they can keep it in the mid-20s, then you look at that and you say, okay, San Diego State's playing their kind of game. They can, maybe they have a chance. But if it's if if it ends up in the 30s or 40s, San Diego State is going to get blown out. Great point, Bill. Great time to take a break. Bill, before we move on to the second game in the South uh, region, just to kind of further your point of saying that San Diego State, best chance to kind of keep the game in the 60s, uh, Alabama's last loss, they lost 67-61 to 61 in the SEC finale to Texas A&M. Their last uh, loss prior to that was a loss to Tennessee. They lost 68-59. to 59. Uh, Their next loss prior to that, they lost to Oklahoma, 93-69. to 69. Uh, They had a win the game right prior to that. Uh, they won 66-63, to 63, so Mississippi State kind of mucked that one up just to keep it tight. Uh, and then they go back way early in the season. They lost to Connecticut. They lost 82-67. to 67. And then the only other time they scored in the 60s was the third game of the season, 65-55 uh, to 55 win to Alabama. So they, there's a very small sample size. They don't normally score in the 60s. Um, you know, they average in the high 70s. Uh, they're non-conference. No, and, and that's also a product of pace yep. a lot. Many of the non-conference. But, um, but they are a top 20 offense, but but I think it's that's pace driven. But, yeah, I mean, you see it there. Obviously, not too many teams have been able to get them to play at a slower um, pace. So, um, all right, we're going to move on. Uh, the next game up, we have the six-seeded Creighton Blue Jays out of the Big East, and they will take on the Princeton Tigers, the Ivy League champs. How impressive was this? Princeton team in this tournament that like the to win the first game and pull off the great upset it was like okay they you know they pulled off the upset but at the same time it was one of those um upsets where you know you got to give credit to the underdog but at a certain point in time in the game Arizona just decided we're only going to shoot threes we're not we're going to play into Princeton's hands with the way that we're playing this game entirely and and uh, one of the best offenses in college basketball plays at Princeton's pace and all of a sudden the ball gets super heavy at the end and I think Princeton ended the game on something like an 11-0 run yeah they ended on a run and actually the other thing if you if you go into a further dive the end of the first half um, Arizona actually kind of had them on the ropes um, I'm pulling it up now. There was a point where they did. I remember it was like uh, I looked at it and I was like, I'll watch another one, another the, game because it's this thing's already eight. The huh. coming out of the four minute timeout, it hit the 3:58 marker. Uh, Balo goes to the line. He he's shooting two. He's up 11 at the four minute timeout. Or right, so 3:58 is almost right on the on the on the uh, on the mark there. And then this is first yeah, half. And um. And then Princeton goes on a run to end the half and cut the lead to one. Um, so they they close the half on a um, on a seven zero or six zero run, and that cut. I mean, basically, or sorry, a ten zero run cuts you know cuts the lead from double digits to one, and that really set the set the tone for the second half. And like you said, Arizona kind of just seemed very disinterested and just decided that they were going right, to play right into Princeton's hands. That's an old Bob Knight thing. The last four minutes of the 
first half and first four minutes of the second half are the most important eight minutes of the game aside from the very end. It's like the the momentum, the shifts that happen there are are huge. Yeah, and um, and you know you have Creighton. I mean, they're they've been there. This team has been there before now because now Creighton's got guys who were in the tournament last year. They made a mini run last year, even though um, uh, Ryan Nebhart, their 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 freshman guard last year, was out. He's back for a sophomore season. So the five starters from Creighton will all have uh, tournament experience. Baylor Shireman, obviously, him and he wasn't on the team last year, but was in the tournament against Princeton uh, with with South Dakota State and Ryan Nebhardt, obviously injured, but Kaluma, Alexander, Kalkbrenner, these guys all have the tournament experience. I'm, not, I'm just, they're a better coach team than Arizona. Um, and then Princeton in the second matchup, they kind of, you know, they got Missouri. Missouri, something, there's something to be said there. They were in the 7 10 game. They were the, uh, they were the betting underdog to Utah State. Um, they've been a kind of a weird team where they started the season on a winning streak. And then they just kind of became very middle of the road in the SEC. Um, so I thought that was a good matchup for Princeton. Princeton blew the doors off them. I mean, that, that game was never yeah, close. Never. That game never got within like, never got less than like 12 points from maybe a couple minutes to go in the first half. And that's where Creighton, I think there becomes a difference here where it's, you know, I'm not saying Princeton doesn't have good coaching, but Creighton, they came into the game. There was a pick 'em against Baylor. Baylor, one of the more they were a top five offense in the country, and Creighton grabbed the lead early, and they never looked back. Almost wire. To, I think it was almost wire to wire. Yeah, Baylor. Baylor never quite got to. Uh, never quite made it where you felt like Baylor had a chance to win. And I think that's where Creighton, their experience and the games that they've been tested in the Big East, those matter here. Um, and, you know, at a certain point, these these teams that make a run, it's just like we saw it last year with St. Peter's. It's like, okay, what can you do from game to game to where, you know, father time doesn't catch up with you? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Here's, a, here's another thing that I found interesting, just going back to the Princeton-Arizona game. Princeton, I, I, I just remembered this because I saw something about it. Princeton was like one for 13 from three or over. Like I watched them miss at least 10 straight threes. It, it wasn't like Princeton shot the ball the way that they are capable of shooting the ball against Arizona. Then I think you saw against Missouri, um, they were able to, to uh, hit a couple threes in the beginning. They got bailed out Princeton in the first round by a bench player, um, Blake Peters. Blake Peters hit three threes. And that were those were the, the he was three of five from the line. The rest of the team was one for twenty from beyond the three point line. You don't see many like double digit seeds who go, you know, who go four for twenty five from three and still win the game. So a telling sign. And the other thing I'll say is they play great defense. And Princeton's not Princeton did not at any point in time. It appeared to me at least feel like they weren't they couldn't win this game they didn't belong in this game like even when they were down they they they're um whether that's product of coaching or the kids 
seemed like they were right on on and and focused and and even if the shots weren't falling they didn't panic they continued to play their game continued to slow it up and then the ball got really heavy for Arizona yeah and and just to further your point with Princeton that their shooting numbers not great in that first matchup against Arizona and that's certainly no credit to Arizona's defense because they're not a great defensive team the second game, they shot it much better. Peters continued his hot hand, went 5 for 8 for in the second game um, for 17 points off the bench for Princeton in only 15 minutes of action. Uh, they But they did shoot 36% from three, which um, was significantly better than the, than the first game against Arizona. So, yeah, I think they're going to have to yeah, shoot. And it, it's actually, it actually uh, runs with the statistics. Blake, Blake Peters did shoot the ball 40% yep. from three this year. He's the only guy on the team who at least takes a decent amount of threes who's over 40, who's 40% or over. Um, Alaco is, is 38 and a half. So that's pretty good. Ryan Lamborg, Langborg, who led the team in scoring um, in the uh, Missouri game is like a 33% or 32 point, three percent three-point shooter he's one of their leading scorers he can drive he's he's a guard but he's actually he actually doesn't really uh shoot the three all that well um it, it's funny you think of a team like princeton and you're expecting that but they ran a couple back doors they had like it like old Pete carilla offense against arizona yeah. and yep. then against missouri they just whooped their ass oh yeah they- so i'm interested to see what happens in the straight game i think it's going to be a lot closer than than maybe um people are expecting because we said styles make fights and and uh and they also make matchups when it comes to college basketball and um while Creighton is a is one of those teams that has both a good defense and a good offense I'll be interested to see if offensively they get thrown off by Princeton because Princeton's been excellent defensively in both of the games against Arizona and against Missouri different type of team than Creighton, but I would think Creighton is more similar to a team they would face on a regular basis in the Ivies. Yeah, so Creighton, um, pace of play, there's actually not too much of a difference. They're both in the 140s to 190 range, so they're, it's not like Creighton's looking to play too much. It's more Creighton's defensive metrics. They're top 15 in the country, so the the one thing that I... Top 25 offensively, yes, too, quietly. Yep, Creighton actually right there as one of those teams that kind of fits the mold for um, the Ken Palm, what they what he has predicted as national championship since he's the website has started. The one thing I'm seeing though, is the, uh, when I look at Princeton, I have my sheet in front of me there. They limit offensive rebounding. They're actually 10th in the country uh, in opponents, offensive rebounding numbers. All right. So now it's like, okay, if they're keeping teams off of the boards, you know, and it's just like, all right, well, is that something that Creighton actually could exploit? But their offensive rebounding numbers are in the 270s. So Creighton is not okay. a great offensive rebounding team. They're actually they're very similar in Princeton in the regard. They're top 15 in limiting opponents' offensive rebounding numbers. So both teams, very good defensive rebounding teams. And it makes you wonder, okay, like you just said, the betting number seems, I think it's as high as 9, or I don't know if it's climbed up to 10, but this is the biggest spread in the remaining games. I'm not sure that Creighton has what it takes. They they might fall into they might be perfectly fine playing at at Princeton style, but I'm not sure there's much of a difference in in the style where it's unless Creighton's just shooting the ball really well. I think this one's going to be tight. Yeah, I don't see a blowout here either. 
And Kalkbrenner, I think, in the uniqueness, I, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about the Ivy League other than um, I, I know, I think he was on Penn. He, they have uh, the third or fourth leading scorer in the country at like 23 a game. I think his name is Dingle. But I, other than that, I, I haven't seen too many Ivy League games. I'm not sure there's a guy like Kalkbrenner, though, in the middle of the teams they've played. Whereas Kalkbrenner is altering shots. Arizona's big men do not really do that. Uh, Balo is a big body, but he doesn't have the mobility that Kalkbrenner has where Kalkbrenner will step out to the three-point line. They could kind of switch one through five if they have to. Um, and that type of defensive um, uh, um, abilities of Creighton make them a tough out in this tournament, whether it's... Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a, that's a big factor, actually, as well, because, again, Princeton's not really your typical mid-major that's going to be bombing a ton of threes. They did not shot the ball well from three, and they don't have, with, with you know, two exceptions, a lot of, like great three-point shooters they they're actually more of a, a scrappy team that likes to take their time but they like to get good shots closer to the basket what what i actually see as creighton's issue here in this tournament man hasn't come into play yet is creighton only really plays five guys um they they really go they'll play a few guys off the bench but it's only for a minute two minute here or there it's their five guys, and they're going to win or die with those guys. But if one of these guys gets in foul trouble where they pick up a third, say, in the in the first half, that's where I wonder if that spells doom for them. Yeah, I think the pace and the way Princeton plays, I don't think that that's entirely likely. Princeton didn't didn't draw a ton of fouls even against Arizona until the very end of the game. I think they're, they literally, their first free throw they took in the game was with like two minutes left. Yeah, but that's... They're not, you know, they didn't, they didn't draw a lot of fouls. But that, um, that's the one area where I see Creighton able to be exploited is if one of their starting five goes out, they don't really have an answer for it off the bench. But yeah, I think that probably gives Creighton the advantage playing the pace. I would say I think probably I think I take Creighton and win this game, but by less than ten points. Yeah, I think if you if you're betting on the game, yeah, I think Princeton to cover that number is a very intriguing number because it's high and it almost reminds me of last year when. Um, Purdue played St. Peter's. The number was a double-digit number, and St. Peter's, I think, covered that one, obviously, wired. I I think they were covering wire to wire before they actually pulled off the win. Yeah. All right, so we're chalk, We're both chalk in this region, it sounds like. Yep. And then just to, just to as a aside, a little prediction of the Elite Eight, we'll see if we maybe get back together and, and do another one. But I, uh, I'm going to take Alabama to beat uh, Creighton. Al- I think um, Alabama could get Creighton into a track meet and really exploit that um, short bench. Yeah, that's that's actually the type of team that I can think can exploit Creighton. Um, if Kalkbrenner in particular gets in foul trouble, I think that really spells doom for them. I do like the backcourt of um, Nebhart and Alexander to kind of hang with the backcourt of Alabama. I think Shireman's a guy who could kind of play that style, but... I mean, yeah, I just Alabama just has a wave of guys, uh, eight, nine guys who could really do damage against anybody in the country. So, yeah, I, I do think that Alabama is still very much the favorite to come out of here. If they played Creighton, I think it would be about a five point spread. So I think it's significant enough. OK, we move from the south region to the east region. We have the uh, eight-seeded Florida Atlantic Owls out of Conference USA, the conference, uh, conference tournament champions, and they will face the number four seed Tennessee Volunteers out of the SEC. Yeah, Tennessee coming off a, a 
an emphatic and and statement win against Duke. Did you watch that game? Yes, I did. Yeah, I thought uh, like it it actually ended up going exactly as I thought it would go. I was a big seller of Duke because I thought they had a really tough matchup with Tennessee. That's why I didn't take Duke in any of my brackets or anything else. Because, uh, I mean, it looked like uh, Tennessee out of the gate immediately set the tone with um, their big guy, um, Uros Popsic, yes. the big 7-1 uh, Serbian dude. I think he's Serbian. Serbian dude who, uh, I mean, right out of the gate, like within the first two minutes of the game, he had two fouls for both for like hard elbows. And, you know, it was like the, you, you watched that first half and, and it was like, Duke guys on the floor from Tennessee guys knocking them over. It was like watching seventh and eighth grade team play a fifth and sixth grade team or something like that, because it was just the physicality and the size was so different. And, and to Tennessee's credit, they came out immediately played really physical and made the ref say, we're going to allow you to play this kind of a game as opposed to, to calling a lot of ticky tack fouls. And by doing that right away, I think they, they really gave themselves um, they, they put themselves in a position where Duke was on their heels most of the game. And, and Duke played like a team that was kind of soft, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and to what you were saying, I, it's actually a guy who has not performed all that great in the tournament. Rick Barnes, uh, very good coaching effort in the fact that he, knew, he went a- after uh, Duke in that regard and told his guys, play physical, and they did from the very beginning and it went wire to wire like that against Duke um, where Duke um, very much just, you know, there was, there, they, they wound up in foul issues. Uh, Roach went out with five fouls very early and uh, with like eight to go in the, in the second half. Um, yeah. Duke and, they, and Tennessee knew exactly who they were in that game and didn't make any bones about it. It was like, we're not going to be the prettiest team in the, in the world to play against, but, but it's like, we are going to make you work your ass off in order to score, and and that's who they are. They are. If you look at the uh, the Ken Palm um, rankings, I think Tennessee actually jumped after this most recent game to number one overall defensive team. And you know, how can you argue with that though? After what you saw them do to Duke. Yeah, I'm seeing Tennessee. Yeah, now at the uh, the number one, they came into the tournament as number two defensively. They're the number one now. Um, Florida Atlantic. Uh, it's now a it's Duke is a big man driven team. They did a nice job on Roach, I thought as well. But now you're facing a team like Florida Atlantic, um, one of the more um, impressive guards so far through two games who's played is Janelle Davis um, for um, oh, sorry, John L. Davis uh, for FAU had 29 points against um, FDU, had 12 boards in that game, five assists. I wish I would have saved like the the pitcher. There was like a meme of he's one of only a few players to have averaged like twenty five. Um, I want to say twenty five like uh, points through two games uh, and like it wasn't ten boards, but it was close to it and five assists. It, it, it was a historic thing, uh, you know, numbers that he a historic crowd that he was with through two games. His statistics. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like a John Morant is the last guy I remember from a, from a similar type of school who um, who really took over as a guard in the tournament and, and was able to, to um, kind of impose as well. I say all that with a grain of salt 
you know, the Memphis win was a good win, and that and it was a super close game. Came down to the wire. It was pretty, as even as it could be. Now, as much as it was awesome to watch Fairleigh Dickinson beat Purdue, Purdue fell in love with the three at the end of the game. It was just, it was like watching a live-action car crash if you were a Purdue fan. But I would say Fairleigh Dickinson did not even win their conference tournament. All right, so Purdue choking in the first round does not mean that Fairleigh Dickinson suddenly, like, Iona, or not Iona, uh, St. Peter's from last year. Fairleigh Dickinson is still Fairleigh Dickinson. They didn't even win their conference tournament. They had a lot of really rough losses this year, and they kind of hung with Florida Atlantic. Now, some of that's confidence, but it doesn't it doesn't um, give me a, a lot of uh, confidence in Florida Atlantic against Tennessee's defense and against the way that Tennessee plays. Um, I, I, think, uh, I think just from who's been tested and who hasn't, I like Tennessee in this game. And Florida Atlantic, just to kind of what you were saying, they've been in and out of the top 25 all year, but that's just because they haven't taken losses. When you look inside, um, look at their schedule, and I think this is something that I had brought up on the solo pod that I did. Their schedule just wasn't there. They had two wins against non-Division one opponents, and then um, really the best team that they had beat, and they swept them, uh, was North Texas, uh, at least according to like ranking numbers. They had losses. They, they, they had season, a season split going into the final uh, Conference USA championship game against U, UAB. But otherwise, they didn't really play any opponents, and by luck of it, they didn't wind up crossing a number one seed here. They wound up going against a 16 in the second round. Now, again, like you said, big win against Memphis. But now you're facing a team that's just a whole different beast in Tennessee. Tennessee played two tough games. You know, they almost got upset themselves against Louisiana, but then very much was came ready to play in Duke. And that's something that I think we see and we'll talk about with other teams in this tournament where slow starts in, in game one, very impressive wins in game two. Yeah, 100%. And so Tennessee, uh, here's one thing I'll say about Tennessee. They, they're a balanced team from a scoring perspective. You know, they have um, four guys who average over 10 points a game and and another additional two guys who average over eight. Their bench is quite deep, and everybody on that team rebounds. Everybody on that team rebounds. Um, against Duke, uh, Olivier uh, Kamhua, who's actually uh, grew up in, in Helsinki, Finland, I believe, um, was was a huge difference maker. He had uh, 27 against Duke, um, and he's a big man, seven one, and he can step outside. He hit a couple threes. Um, they again, they're they're the number one defensive team in the country for a reason, and that's because they they guard you 25 feet out, but they also everybody crashes the boards. Everybody on Tennessee crashes the boards, and. Um, and I think that's going to be – Tennessee is the type of team that a Florida Atlantic has not played yet. You know, there's some similarities maybe between Memphis, but Tennessee has played their fair share of Florida Atlantic-type teams. I think the team that gives Tennessee problems is not a Duke or a Florida Atlantic who are who are softer teams that are maybe more skilled, more offensive. I think a team that's a similar profile to Tennessee is the team that gives them problems. So great defensive teams like Alabama and others. Yeah, and uh, Florida Atlantic just, like I said, like you just said, I don't think they fit the profile of a type of team that um, is going to come out and and be able to overcome what Tennessee does on the defensive end. Tennessee, 
um, really doesn't have a ton of shooters, but they have versatile big men and, you know, Florida Atlantic, it just not the biggest of teams. You have a guard who... Muscovy can shoot the ball a little bit. They're, uh, he can. They're guard. He's um, he's he's a hot and cold guy, so he can get hot and, in, in certain games from beyond the arc. And what I had said on the solo pod was, you take a guy like him when Ziegler's out, now you put him as the primary ball handler that kind of takes away a little bit of his... Um, you know, catch and shoot ability because now the ball is in his hand more um, with no Ziegler, but that hasn't really been a factor through two games. Not sure Florida Atlantic really impacts that all that much. I like Florida. Uh, I like Tennessee's front court here to to get them the win. Um, and yeah, uh, going into the we'll, let's go right into the next uh, next matchup on the bottom half. Um, we have Kansas State, the number three seed, and they will face the number seven seed, Michigan State Spartans. Izzo. It's almost like uh, Michigan State in recent years, I felt more confident with them as a seven seed making the Sweet 16 than I do as a two. They've had like a couple of, of times where they've been upset by um, – by like a 15 one or two separate years they lost to 15 they've lost to to um a 10 seed in the tournament but for whatever reason similar to gonzaga in, in this sense i suppose um when playing as the uh worst seeded team they almost play looser and and Izzo gets the other coach on his heels and i think that's what happened for um for michigan state so far in this tournament um they played really well. Like it, a lot of times, you see Michigan State. They end up playing these ugly sort of uh, sort of games. They didn't. Really, the game wasn't really as ugly as I thought it was going to be, given the the type of talent they have. Uh, you know, they they almost scored seventy points in both games, and they really just like. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot that Marquette could do to 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 uh, make that game super close at the end. No, and. Um... They also, um, USC in the first matchup, both teams hung around for a while with Michigan State, and then it just kind of seemed that Michigan State style wore them wore both teams down, um, you know, late in the game when, like in the proverb, um, you know, proverbial fourth quarter. The thing that I had mentioned on on the the East Pod, which was just the solo recording, the Kansas State has one of the best one-two punches in this tournament. Um, and it mattered late in the game against Kentucky. Kentucky completely dominated on the boards. Oscar Schwebley had any everything and anything he wanted. They out-rebounded them by like 18 or something like that. They didn't hit a three-ball all game. No one hit a three-ball outside of uh, Marcus um, uh, Noel. He hits one. Then you had Massad, who um, you know is a bench player. He hits one in the um, from the um, the side from deep past NBA range, and then Keontae Johnson, the one two, he's the one two with uh, Noel. He hits a step back three at the end. So this is a team that didn't shoot the ball well all game, but they looked very relaxed and they didn't seem to be affected. That you know they were completely just being dominated by Kentucky. They were in that game. It was just one possession, two possession throughout, and they were very, you know, just very comfortable in that regard of playing in a close They put game. themselves in a position where they could hit some big shots at the end of the game. They hit them. Yeah. Yep. And that's where... I agree with you. That's where in this game, and I think moving forward, at least in this region, until we get out of this region, 
Noel is in a very interesting position. This is a guy who came from um, Little Rock, Arkansas, transferred to Kansas State, has probably never played a college basketball game at Madison Square Garden. He's from Harlem. He's going to have his family there. He's going to have his friends at this game. He's a guy who seemed to relish in the spotlight. There was no... His game did not change. Uh, he tends to be a little bit of a flashier point guard. He's 5'7". He plays with a ton of confidence. This seems like the type of game you put him in Madison Square Garden. This guy's going to put on a show, along with Keontae Johnson, who's got this incredible story in his own right ha- after having um, you know, a heart issue at F- Florida that took him off the court and winds up transferring to Kansas State. This, this one-two punch, I think, is going to be a tough out. Um, Keontae Johnson can really fill it up. He's he's a he's a volume shooter, and he's a forty percent shooter from the three point line. Uh, Novell is is a is at thirty five, but he's streaky, so he can he can have a game where he's where he does great things for you. He have a game where he kills you. He averages. This is something I noticed. So it's it's of note because he's playing against Michigan State, and Izzo will probably craft something yep. to to. Um, to, to, to sort of target the opponent's weaknesses. Um, Noel averages almost four turnovers a game. So he is he can he has the tendency sometimes to get a little sloppy with the basketball. Um, I, I think that's something to keep an eye on. Um, this is actually strange strangely enough, the best shooting game we've seen so far in the tournament best one of the best shooting matchups. Both of these teams have multiple guys who can shoot the three at over 40 percent and and play a lot in their rotation so it'll be this game could, could go a number of different ways and it, i'll be interested to figure it out um i'd watch out for hauser on michigan state he will be he's always a tough cover because he uh he, he's the best rebounder on the team but he's also an excellent three-point shooter who can step out and knock it down and they do have a guy who can kind of carry them as well at, at the guard spot at Walker. He shoots 42% from three. Um, he's had, I think, two two or three 30-point games this season. So he has a guy in his own right who could kind of feed off the crowd and kind of get going in this one. So I think this one is exactly what we're going to expect yeah. it to be, which is— Michigan State, for, for reference, Michigan State has— Three guys. So the the two we mentioned, Joey Hauser shooting forty six percent from three, eighty eight percent from the line, and, and almost fifty percent from from uh, the field overall. J- just something to know. Like he he doesn't make a lot of he doesn't take a lot of bad shots, and he's a very good shooter. You mentioned uh, Tyson Walker, and then another guy I would throw in there is Jade Nakins, um, another guard for Michigan State who's also over forty percent from three. Um, he's uh He's an excellent uh, guy to have if if one of the other two isn't necessarily hitting his threes. Because if you have three three-point shooters, you are really stretching a defense. So you have three guys on the court at the same time who are over 40% from three. You're going to stretch the Kansas State defense, and then it, it provides other opportunities for Michigan State. Um, who do you like in this game? Yeah, I thought you brought up a great point in uh, Noel's turnover numbers there for Kansas State. You give Izzo a few more days to prepare. You have to think that they're going to try and go after him, get him to turn over the ball a little bit. The thing here is that I see, at least, Keontae Johnson, um, really kind of the most complete player in this game, Um, just a guy who could score in a variety of ways. He actually had a very slow start uh, before the step-back three late in the Kentucky game, really didn't do a ton um, in that game until very late. 
Um, but yeah, in that in that way, I guess it just goes back to what I was saying way back when, when Virginia won the national championship. There's something about stories in the NCAA tournament. Keontae Johnson is kind of one of those stories, and I just think Kansas State's got a little bit more left in them. Um, Michigan State, I think, is as well as they shoot the ball, I think they're just playing at some point this water's going to find their level they were middle road of the team a middle road team for a reason yeah okay so I, i'm actually going to go the other way on this i'm going to take michigan state but here's one thing i will say that is important for um for your your case so michigan state's glaring weakness defensively is they do not have a rim protector or a shot blocker now that doesn't really play, unfortunately, into Kansas State's hands because Kansas State has is a perimeter team. Michigan State is not a bad perimeter defense team. They are they're not bad at covering guards and and kind of switching off screens. It's it's teams that take the ball to the basket and teams that outsize them that give them um, significant issues. Um, the guy I would watch for in this game is is Joey Hauser. He's got the uh, He's a senior, and that's another thing about Michigan State and, and Kansas State. They both have some experienced guys on these teams. Um, but Joey Hauser, I think, will be, if he plays well, Michigan State has a good chance to win. And if they if Kansas State manages to take him out of the game entirely, which can happen on occasion, then I think um, I think Kansas State's going to run away with it. But I'm going to take Michigan State in a nail-biter um, because as I look at the last like five or six big games Joey Hauser's played, he showed up for all of them. Um, I think I think it'll be uh, a lot of three point shots in this game, and um, and I'm gonna go with uh, Michigan State in a nail biter. Yeah, yeah, and uh, no surprise, this game I think is uh, basically a pick 'em uh, as far as the gambling is concerned. So yeah, it's, it's expected to be close, and I think both of us expect it to be close as well. We move up to the top right bracket the midwest region wait oh wait, before uh, we, we do that real quick who do you um like in the uh to win this region to come out of yeah. this region uh, oh man so d- defensively kansas state actually not that far off metric wise um their top 20 defense which kind of surprising if you've seen them so far in the tournament i don't think th- maybe i'm just wrong on this tennessee team I just don't think you could survive for this long um, kind of playing that dirty style of basketball defensively. Um, So I guess at this point I I lean Kansas State to come out of it. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm going, uh, again, I have Tennessee, uh, Michigan State, and I think it's going to be an absolute slobber knocker, but I think Tennessee goes on to the Final Four out of this uh, region. All right, take a quick break. Just kidding, it wasn't a quick break. Uh, You can move on. Uh, to the uh, second half of the pod, uh, the Midwest and the West regions. Thanks for listening with us.